0: Now, this morning, I invite you to take your Bibles, please, and we want to continue this series on the attributes of God, His awesome attributes, and I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 40. Uh, We're going to camp out in this chapter this morning, and uh, we're going to pick it up at verse uh, 27, toward the end of the, the, uh, the slides there, beginning at verse 27, and we will read from verse 27 through verse 31. Let's stand, please, in honor of the Word of God, and you follow along as I read. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall let's read this last verse together can we do it in unison but those who hope in the lord will renew their strength They will soar on wings like eagles, they will run and not grow weary, and they will walk and not be faint. As the people of God, we can soar, we can run, we can walk, not because of our own strength, but because of the power of God at work within us. We can never ever say that God has forsaken us or abandoned us. He knows everything about us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you today with gratitude. Uh, You are so good. It's so good to praise your name, to lift high the name of the Lord Jesus. You are great, Lord. You are greatly to be praised. There is no one like our great God. And we love you. And we bow in reverence and adoration before you. You are at work in each of our lives. You are molding us and making us into the people of God. Lord, I pray that you would continue your mighty work in my heart and in each one of our hearts. Help us, Lord, to keep tender toward you and to be responsive to your nudges as we seek to walk in a manner that is worthy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Help us to understand the greatness of God today. Help us to understand that there is nothing that is beyond your ability. Help us to understand that there is no problem, no difficulty, no hardship that we ever face that is beyond your control. We love you. Speak now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated a greatness is something many pursue but very few achieve uh, even though they pursue it many times they will achieve it but it never outlasts their lifetime the ones that achieve greatness in the past are fading memories in fact there once was a a boxer who was known for his hubris and bravado in fact he was so cocky and confident of who he was that he would write poetry and as he would write poetry oftentimes in those poetic statements he would identify the specific round in which he would knock out his opponent very interesting that this gentleman coined a phrase which sportscasters grabbed onto real quick. I am the greatest. I am the greatest. This boxer went on to win the World Heavyweight Championship. He lost it and then he won it back again. He was an Olympic champion. And in his retirement years, he developed Parkinson's disease and became known as an agent of goodwill all around the world. His name, Cassius Clay, or as he became well known by, Muhammad Ali, I am the greatest. Most of you that are of the younger generation, the Gen Xers and the Millennials, you've probably never heard of this guy. But if you talk to your dad or grandpa, they will remember the splash that he made when he appeared on the scene back in the 60s. He was the greatest boxer, at least in his mind, of all times. The same can be said of any athlete who today is dubbed the GOAT. The greatest of all times. This morning we want to focus on another attribute of God that causes us to pause in wonder and amazement. Because the greatness of God is so beyond what anyone can achieve in this life. His greatness is unlike the greatness of man. His greatness is from everlasting to everlasting because he is God and there is no one like him. I came across a motto this past week that reads this, how great a God we need and how much greater <clears throat> is our God than our greatest need. I want you to think about that. I'm going to repeat it. How great a God we need, and how much greater is our God than our greatest need. Now, I want you to stop for a moment and think back to this past week. What was your greatest need? just reflect back. What was your greatest need? What was the thing that you needed help with more than anything else? And once you identify whatever that greatest need was, I want you to realize this morning that our God is greater than our greatest need. He is beyond us. He is all-powerful. He is almighty. And our English word majesty comes from a Latin word meaning greatness. J.I. Packer in his volume, Knowing God, makes the statement that when we ascribe majesty to someone, we are acknowledging greatness in that person and voicing our respect for it. When we speak of the greatness of God, we are speaking of majesty without human parallel or equal. Our God stands far above anything that we can conceive of in this life as great. He is infinitely greater than our greatest need. Now, theologically, the greatness of God refers to his transcendence. And by transcendence, we mean that God, in a sense, is beyond us. He's not limited by space and time. He's above creation. He is eternal in the heavens. There is that sense in which God is wholly other. He is transcendent. He is high and exalted. He is lifted up. No one can compare to Him. He is the transcendent God. On the other hand, the Bible also teaches us that although God is great and transcendent, He is also eminent. That is, He is ever near. We have a God who is great on one hand, who is transcendent, on the other hand, is imminent. And we need to hold these two dynamic truths about God in tension with each other. Without this understanding of God, our view of who God really is will be distorted. We will either view Him as being so highly holy other That we can't even approach him or on the other hand we will conceive him to be our equal and manipulate him and put him into a box confine him to our limitations our own humanness now these two truths god's transcendence on one hand his eminence on the other hand are brought together In one text, Isaiah 57 and verse 15. You may want to jot it down. Isaiah 57 and verse 15. For this is what the high and lofty one says, He who lives forever, whose name is holy, I live in a holy place. That speaks of God's transcendence but also, notice, put a circle around those two words, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. So this great God that you and I serve on one hand is beyond us and yet on the other hand is very near. And as I have meditated on these wonderful realities about God, I have come to the conclusion that there needs to be a holy sense of awe when we talk about the greatness of God, even a fear of God as we contemplate His greatness. In fact, in the Bible, we have repeated instances or examples of those who are brought into contact with the great and living God. and in each case they had an acute awareness of their own sinfulness. For example, Abraham when God appears to him by the oaks of Mamre he falls on his face before God. When Moses sees the burning bush he hides his face in fear. When Isaiah saw God in all of His holiness, and all of His greatness, He bowed down and He says, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the Holy One. And when Daniel, we have another instance of this, when Daniel sees God in a vision, he reflects, quote, I had no strength left, my face turned deathly pale, and I was helpless. Once we get a glimpse of the greatness, the majesty, the incredible reality of who God is, we will have an acute awareness of how far we fall short in our own walk and relationship to Him. along with the Apostle Paul who met God on the Damascus Road his name was Saul at that time God changed him he became Paul and he said Lord what would you have me to do you see when we understand who God is we will always make ourselves available to him for him to use us not as we desire but as He desires. But today we live in a world where modern-day theologians and unschooled churchmen try to reconstruct God in their own image. And they pathetically try to humanize God and deify themselves. They disregard God with irreverent attitudes and compromising ways of living. Friends God is not our equal. God is high and exalted. He is lifted up. And we must have a proper view of God in order to live this supernatural life that he has given us through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's only when we have a proper view of both the transcendence of God and his eminence that we will not willingly transgress against his word and miss the plan He has for our lives. Only when we have this proper understanding of God will our faith be fortified and our worship meaningful. Only when we see God as He really is in His majestic might will we experience His presence and His power in us. Now, Isaiah chapter 40 is a chapter that stands in great contrast to the previous chapter, chapter 39 of Isaiah. In 39, Isaiah speaks about the impending Babylonian exile that's about to come upon the nation of Israel because of her sin and transgression against God. They have transgressed against God, and so God is going to send judgment upon them at the hands of the Babylonians. But this is only symptomatic of a far greater problem that they have, and that is they have a spiritual problem. They have forsaken God. A whole nation has turned their back on him. But beginning in Isaiah 40, Isaiah through the Holy Spirit, speaks to this rebellious and stiff-necked people. And he reminds them that though their punishment will be great, God will not abandon them, he will not forsake them, he will restore them. In fact, as we read through this passage, there is great hope for the righteous. Now, beginning in verse 12... Isaiah redirects the people's attention away from themselves, away from this impending uh, exile that they're about to experience. Indeed, during this particular period of time, the greatness of God would be made known to them. And it is because of the greatness of God that He would see them through this very difficult period of time in their lives. God would make known to him, to to the nation, his greatness. That's Israel's greatest need. And I believe in 2023, it is the church's greatest need to see God. Now, God's showing up all over the place. He's showing up in revivals and student ministries at Asbury. It's even happening at Cedarville now. I have a grandson at Cedarville. God is at work throughout this nation. He is seeking to shake us out of our lethargy and to help us understand that he is great and powerful and no one can compare to him. And above all the swirling rhetoric of the politicians who can't seem to figure out their way out of a a bag. God stands supreme. And we need to keep our eyes on the living God. Somebody put it this way, the world appears very little to a soul that contemplates the greatness of God. The world appears very little to a soul that contemplates it, thinks about the greatness of God and through a series of contrasts now Isaiah gives us a glorious glimpse of this great God that you and I serve number one Isaiah tells us that God is greater than creation you see this in verse 12 and through a series of rhetorical questions Isaiah seeks to prove that no one but God can perform the feats that are described in verse 12. There are three questions that he asks. Notice the text. Question number one, verse 12 Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? The word waters there describes the waters of the earth, the oceans, the seas, the rivers, the lakes, the streams. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Obviously, the answer is no one but God. No one but God. I've been amazed since coming up here to Northern Michigan. I had no idea there were so many lakes. I mean, every place I go, I make a turn. And there's a lake. There's a lake. There's a lake. There's. A lake. there's a... It's amazing. This great God holds the waters of this earth in the hollow of his hand. No one else can do that. He is greater than his creation. Number two. Notice, another question. Who with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who with the breadth of your hand can mark off the heavens. None of us can. And yet God can mark the heavens with His hand breadth. The galaxies, the incredible objects in space are all measured by God with the breadth of His hand. There is no one that can compare to our God. That's above my pay grade. I can't even begin to think in those terms. And yet, that's who God is. Number three, third question. Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on a scales and the hills in a balance? Now, it's amazing what man has been able to discover. I've been kind of intrigued with the space program ever since it started back in the early 60's. And we have done amazing things with these advanced telescopes. We have seen reaches of space that very few other human beings have ever explored. Our universe is massive. And there are many, many more galaxies beyond anything that we've even discovered. Yet God, who created the seas, the heavens, and the dry lands, He knows everything about them. He's assigned each one of them their proper measure, that they may be enjoyed by man. And He's blended together all the elements of the earth and the heavens, all the way down to the smallest particles of dust in such a way that it sustains life. Dr. D. D. James Kennedy in his volume, Why I Believe, speaks of the delicate blend that we almost always take for granted, but which really should cause us to bow down in daily gratitude before God and his creative work. Quote, If it were not for dust, just think about this, If it were not for dust, we would never see blue sky. Seventeen miles above this planet, there is no dust from the earth, and the sky is always black. If it were not for dust, it would never rain. One drop of rain is made up of 8 million droplets of water and each one of those 8 million droplets is wrapped around a tiny article of dust. Without these we would become parched and life would cease to exist." Verse 13, he says, he measures this vast universe With his hand, yet he himself is beyond understanding. This God is so mighty and so powerful and so great that we can't even take it all in. As I've been going through this chapter, I just I I just sit there and oh my goodness. Why do we so many times feel we are great? And we have everything under control. And we can control other people's destinies. God's the one who's great. He's the one that controls this planet of ours. And notice, he's not finished. Look at verse 14. Actually, verse 13. Who's understood the mind of the Lord? Or who instructed him as his counselor? Look at the text. It's right there in the Bible. Now look, verse 14. Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge and showed him the path of understanding? And the question is no one. God doesn't need counselors. He doesn't need advisors. He doesn't need to be informed of any single thing. There's no new invention or discovery that he already doesn't know about. God knows it all. Does that amaze you? Doesn't that just cause you to, oh my goodness. This God that initiated my salvation is so great, he doesn't need what I need. We live in a world today where consulting has become a billion-dollar business. There are consultants for everything imaginable. We even have consultants today that clean houses. They consult. We have consultants in business, and we have consultants in schools, and we have consultants in almost every area of life. Look at all the consultants that are around the president. And he still has difficulty making decisions. (laughs) He can't make a decision without consulting a consultant who consults another consultant. But God cannot learn. Do you understand this? God is so beyond us. If He could learn, He would cease to be God. exactly what the text says who's instructed him who told him all these things he is the grand originator of all things remember what Jesus was described as when he came as a little baby the prophet called him what a wonder of a counselor you see As our counselor, he knows everything that we have need of. When you don't know what to do, you have a counselor who is right there by your side and all you have to do is reach out to him. He knows what's best for you. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He knew you before you were born. He had laid out a plan for you before you were even brought into this world. He is a God who needs no counselor. He is all-powerful and almighty. He's greater than all creation. Number two, He's greater than countries. Verses 15 and 17, notice he's not only greater than any human individual, he's greater than any collection of individuals within a nation. Look at this in verse 15. He says, surely the nations, and here he's referring to Assyria and Egypt and Babylon. They're all around you. And he's saying to the people of God, these nations are going to come against you. They're going to put you into exile. But let me tell you something. Do you think they're beyond the? The control of God? No. They're going to come against you and you're going to be put in exile. Do you think that the God you serve when you're facing those other nations is going to abandon you? You may feel that you are so weak when this powerful force comes against you. Sure, they're stronger than you are, but our God is greater than countries. It's greater than those that are coming against us. Notice, he considers these nations to be like verse 15. Look at the text. A drop in the bucket. He doesn't describe them as a bucket full of water. He describes them as a drop. That's so how he considers these that are coming against you. In comparison to God, you can't even begin to compare God to other countries. He considers these nations a drop in the bucket of hardly any consequence. Notice verse 15, they are regarded as dust on the scales. Now you know that a little bit of dust will, will uh, tip a scale one way or another. And that fine dust that rests on the scales, many times we can't even see with the naked eye. Isaiah is saying that God is so great. He's not saying that he doesn't love and care for the nations, but rather in comparison to him, na- those nations are just like a speck of dust. <laughs> can be flicked off. You see, we we live in a world where nations are rising against nations and we think all this stuff, we we get ourselves all in a tizzy about what's happening in the world. God is in control of all this, do you understand? He regards them as a little piece of dust. Notice verse 15, He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. He's referring to the coastlands of the Mediterranean. If God wanted to, He could lift those islands up with just the breath of His mouth. He could lift them up. That's who He is. He's great. And though these seas and oceans and islands are imposing to us, to God, They're just... He actually says they're nothing. Look at this. Verse 17. Before him... Underline this in chartreuse, by the way. if you think that the nations are going to have the last say? No, God's going to have the last say. Notice what he says. Before him... Here it is. All the nations are as what? Nothing. Nothing. They are regarded by him as what? worthless and less than nothing. Yeah. You know, we we look at all the bravado and all this stuff that's going on in the world today and we start to worry, and we start to fret, and we wonder what's going to happen. Friends, <laughs> we have a God who is in control. And the nations can only do what he permits and allows and i think all of us know what's happening on today is all preparation the stage is being set for when he comes back he weighs the islands as though they were fine dust god is greater than countries number three God is greater than carved idols look at this verse 19 as for an idol a craftsman casts it and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it man-made idols are not eternal they don't last forever they may be carved out of wood and silver and gold but they don't last forever. We can't bring God down to the level of that which He has created. And in verses 19 and 20, he points out the folly of comparing the living God to man-made idols of wood, silver, and gold. Did man create the wood to make the idol? Did he create the gold that was mined? No. Who did? God. Man thinks that he's making all these things. No, no. He's making what God created. You see, God is eternal. We are very much temporal. And to bow down to man-made idols, Isaiah says, is complete folly. It's to allow the temporal to create the eternal, the weak to subdue the strong, and the finite to comprehend the infinite, and the changeable to control that which is not changed. We must never bring God down to our own level. This is what bothers me about today's contemporary Christianity we want to bring God down to our level. Across the nation there is no more a sense of awe when it comes to God. This is what's awakening the students on the campuses. They are beginning to understand who God is And once we catch a glimpse of who God is and understand, we will stand in awe of Him. We will bow down and worship Him. We will love Him. The daily routines of life will change. There is nothing temporal that can compare to our great God. And to speak of God in temporal terms is to commit idolatry of the grossest sort. This, by the way, is where all cults and aboriginal religious systems come into being. They reject the God of the Bible, and they try to create God in their own image, a God that they can relate to, a God who is not God, but they have pulled the deity out of who God is. They try to manufacture a false god that will do for them whatever they please. Sad. Luther said to Erasmus on one occasion, your thoughts about God are too human. We need to bow down in reverence every day in awe of our great God. Number four, God is greater than civil authorities. Notice verse 22. He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. Now, it's very interesting. The circle of the earth. The earth is a circle, it's not flat. Yeah, we had all these people, all these geniuses telling us that the earth was flat. What does God say in his book? It's right here. He is above the circle of the earth and its people are like what? Now that was weak. They're like grasshoppers. We We are grasshoppers. How does that make you feel? Doesn't mean we don't have any value, but in comparison to God. There's no comparison between what God is and what we are as human beings. And yet so many times we become enamored with our own greatness. We feel we know it all. We have everything figured out. No, no. From God's throne, man appears as a grasshopper notice he goes on to say he stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in he stretches it out like a canopy he gives the authorities permission to rule and to conduct business but at once He can reduce them to nothing. History is strewn today with the remains of leaders who thought they were bigger than God. Hitler, Mussolini, Stalin, Saddam Hussein, Osama bin Laden, and we could go on and on and on. The prophet Daniel puts it in these words. Daniel 2 and verse 21. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. He gives them wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discernment, to the discerning. Just think back in history. All the empire builders, the dictators, the monarchs, the kings, the queens, the presidents, the prime ministers. Who have at their disposal the power to destroy the world. Think about Mao, Ortega, Macarles, Khrushchev. We could go on and on. They have in their hands the power to destroy, but they always have to answer to God because he is greater he is greater than civil authorities number five god is greater than celestial bodies look at verse twenty five to whom will you compare me or who is my equal says the holy one here it is look at the text lift up your eyes and looks to the heavens Who created all these? Who brings out the starry host one by one and calls each of them by name? On a clear night, ever looked up in the heavens? And there just are jillions of stars. He brings out the starry host night after night after night. Each one has a certain place. And he has placed them all there by his design. Plus, he knows every single one of them by name. And I'm having a hard trouble remembering your names. I have to have, you have to help me repeat your name. But God looks up at the heavens, the jillions of stars, They're all in their proper place, and he never has to ask anybody, can can you tell me your name again? He knows them all by name. God is greater than all that he has created, the celestial bodies. He has that kind of power and greatness. Now, if he does... And I'm trying to prove to you that he does. If God is infinitely greater than his creation, greater than countries, than carved idols, than civil authorities, and civil and celestial bodies, how can we who are the epitome of his creation ever say that God doesn't care about us? And Isaiah asks the question. Look at verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, after he's enumerated all the greatness of God, why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? How can we say that when we understand how great and powerful and mighty our God is? And he answers that question beginning in verse 28. Notice. Do you not know? Have you not heard the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He doesn't grow tired and weary. His understanding we can't even get a grip on. He gives strength to the weary. Any of you weary here this morning? He gives strength. He increases the power of the weak. You feel weak? God's got power for you today. Even the youth, the young people, grow tired and weary. Young men stumble and fall. But, put a circle around it, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. And they will walk and not faint. What an incredible promise! to people that are facing exile. This is our promise that God's given to us. We have great hope. We we don't have to worry about what the future holds because we know the God who holds the future. Do we understand this? This God who created everything for us has not lost track of what's going on in his creation and his world. And especially, he has not lost track of those who have put their trust and their confidence in him. Friends, we are serving a God today whose greatness is unending and eternal. And I leave you with three thoughts. Number one, because God is great, no problem, Is too big for him. Whatever you're struggling with and you feel like there's no answer, your God has an answer. He may not let you in on it for a while. He may test you a little bit. But God doesn't have any problems. He only has plans. Number two. Because God is near, no personal need is beyond his ability to meet. You have a personal need this morning? You're facing a tough week? You're going through a battle? There's nothing that you are facing personally this week that is too big for our great God to handle. And number three... Because God is both beyond us and near us, He is always calling us to pursue after Him. The greatest response that we can make to the greatness of God is to make Him our first pursuit and the more we pursue after him the more aware we are of his greatness and we begin to understand that in our own strength we will only fail but in the strength of our great God we will be an overcomer Do you believe that this morning I believe that this book has all the answers. And today we have learned about the greatness of God. And I'm pulling a little bit of an audible here this morning. But I want us to stand and I want us to sing the chorus of how great thou art. Then sings my soul my savior unto thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Let's lift Let's lift the rafters singing about our great God. Can we do that? Okay, let's do it together. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee how great thou art. How great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art. How great Thou art. Lord, we love You. We praise you. We thank you that you are our great God. And we leave in the strength of that name, which is above every name, that name that's been given and is higher among heaven and earth and all other names, the name of Jesus. We love you. We adore you. We worship you. We leave in the strength of your mighty name. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and that sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and evermore we pray. Amen. Good morning and Maranatha, lo he comes. Have a great day in Jesus.